Blog Talk Radio. He was up each morning with the dawn because he knew his daily run was long and hard and he had to be ready to get his freight train down the track determination he would never lack the little locomotive called freight train Freddy. Hi everyone. Welcome to Getting on Top. Whoops. Sorry about that. He was up Sorry about that. Little technical problem. Uh uh welcome to Getting on Top. I'm your host Paul Morris. We're here Wednesdays from Tuesdays from 4 to 4.30 p.m. That's East Coast time. And we broadcast from the southern Hudson Valley region of New York State. You are out of town. It's just the northern suburbs of New York City, my hometown. And uh, anyone would like to call in with a question or comment for me and my guest, call-in number is 1-347-215-9456. And that little ditty was Freight Train Freddy by the book of the same name, and that's uh, written and sung and played by Peter Tizone, who's also the illustrator of the book. I wrote, uh, I wrote the story. And if someone would like to see the beautiful pictures Peter drew or read some of the rhyming verse, uh, you can go to ftfcreations.com. That's FTF as in Freight Train Freddy, creations.com. And uh, today I'm very happy and very pleased to welcome uh, Matthew Anderson. We're talking about the resurrection of romance. And Matthew is a doctor of, uh, a minister, I guess, and the author of Resurrection of Romance, How to Create and Sustain a World-Class Romantic Relationship that Lasts a Lifetime, a coach for life with a specialty in relationship, an entrepreneur, executive coach, and motivational speaker for four decades, Matthew is the creator of a variety of popular CDs and Internet courses, including Wake Up and Drive Your Life, Journey of Love, Eating to Kill, and Naked Hearts and Naked Bodies. Matthew is currently in the fourth year of a 33-year plan to live to 100-plus with passion, health, productivity, especially love. Um, in year two of his plan, he came out of the closet as a fine art photographer. His art can be seen in www.andersonelegantart.com. And you can check out his blog at theresurrectionofromance.com. And if you'd like to find out more about me, you can go to depressivesanonymous.org. That's depressivesanonymous.org. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing Hi, today? Hi, Paul. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me on okay. the show. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I know you. we talked a little uh, off air, and you're, you're of my generation uh, and uh, early 70s. Uh, and so you've been around a while. You've done some things. And I guess you're a minister as well as a, a writer, creative person, photographer, so you do mm-hmm. many, you wear many hats. Uh, how'd you get, in, how'd you get involved with, uh, 
you're working with people, which is, you know, I guess what you do primarily. Well, I started out, as you said, um, when I was 15 years old, I felt a call to the ministry, and I was living in South Carolina with my family, and I was a Southern Baptist. And I went all the way through uh, college and seminary. And at the end of seminary, I changed denominations and joined the United Church of Christ, which is Obama's um, denomination, and it's more liberal than the Baptists were. And uh, after about two years in the church, I decided that I really wanted to be a counselor, coach, uh, kind of work. And so I started in 1972 really working with couples and individuals and separated and divorced people and a lot of single people um, about their relationships. And relationships – has always been the central part of my work. And pretty pretty right around that time, too, back in the 70s, I got involved as a consultant to um, different kinds of businesses in the Boston area and um, mm. computer-related then and other kinds. And so I work with people in relationships and in businesses, but also in couples and single people and helping them with their relationships. And I have been a writer ever since always and uh, I had my first book published in back in 2001 and since then been coaching relationships here in Boca Raton Florida and about half my work is with couples and the other half is with singles and I do uh, some pretty consistent business consulting too as I said like team building and consulting with executives about how they're dealing with their managers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, the recent topic is, as you were quoting, uh, as you were naming the book, The Resurrection of Romance, has been a really important issue for me most of my career is helping people with their relationships, love relationships. About five years ago, um, I had a very powerful experience in my life. I fell in love with my girlfriend hopefully uh, will be married sometime before too long. And her name is Sunny. That's what I call her. Um, and uh, we fell in love, I'd say, like the average person does, that kind of head over heels, incredible kind of experience. And I thought, even as a <coughs> excuse me, coaching counselor, that after a year, year and a half, that experience, that intensity, that wonder, the glow would kind of wear down a little bit because it does for almost everybody. And it didn't. It continued mm-hmm. to be at the at sort of at the peak. And every every month that passed, we, we talked about it a lot because that's what I do is I talk to people about their relationships. So we discussed ours. And I, after about three years, I started taking notes about, well, what is this? Why do I think this thing is working so great? Mm-hmm. And then just a few months ago, a couple, three months ago, I came out with the book published, The Resurrection of Romance, and the blog by the same name. And it's designed to help people take a romantic relationship and turn it into something really life-changing and to sustain that kind of intimacy and beauty and even ecstasy that people can have together. 
And I've seen okay. it happen in my own life, and I've seen it happen with others. So that's a, that's kind of in a nutshell where where this has been. So you know, I'll, I'll bite on this. So what, what I mean, okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that you didn't, you expected it not to be, you know, is you know the 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 glow to kind of wear out, the, the uh-huh. you know the polish to kind of wear off because that's what we mostly experience and see yes. in other people and maybe in our own mm-hmm. lives up to now. But somehow on its own, or not maybe on its own, but you didn't set out to make that happen necessarily, but it did. And then you were saying, like, how come? Is that am yes. I following you correctly? That's exactly right. Okay, so right. what's the and secret? I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking I'm notes. I'm telling you, you got to buy the book. That's it. I've been no, married 50 years, by the way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Congratulations. 50. Yeah, right. Oh, that's amazing. That's good. It is amazing. (laughs) Well, it is quite amazing. I'm so young. You're still young, right? Yeah, I'm very young. I got younger. So, So what what, what the secret is, there are a number of secrets, it's not just one. I I would say um, one thing is I believe that it's very important for people to learn how to see their partner and their relationship as something that's precious. And I'm using that word in particular because it seldom gets used in conversations with couples. It's not a word that, that we use generally in life. And if we think of this relationship and the person of the other person as precious and we remind ourselves every day that that's how we feel about this, we are going to treat that person and the relationship with a different kind of attitude, a different kind of care. Mm-hmm. My experience is as a coach, but also in my personal life, is that falling in love, that romantic love presents us with one of the most powerful or potentially powerful and life-changing experiences of a lifetime. And it's available to everybody. One Sooner or later, most people fall in love. And if we see it as precious, if we also come to see it as sacred, that it's a gift, we cannot force ourselves to fall in love with someone. It doesn't, we can't do that. We cannot will it. But when it happens, it's should be experienced as a, as a gift. And I would say that my spiritual theological training has helped me in that sense of see it as having an element of what I would call divine energy, or if we were going to talk about it like the Jungian uh, psychology, people talk about it, it has numinous energy in it, meaning it's got a divine quality to it. And I see it as a gift a gift of grace that comes to us, meaning it's free and it's not based on what we deserve. It's, it's a gift. And we should, if we see it as precious, if we see it as sacred, if we see it as a gift, then it starts to shape our minds and hearts in a way that we can say, wow, this is, this is something really, really special. What if I treat it that way every day? And that's sort of, not sort of, that is the big point I think works. Out of that, there are many, many different um, 
specific things that I recommend that people do. One, for example, is I know I think it's been around for longer than either one of us, but this whole idea of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. And how we talk to the person we love really matters. It matters every single time we interact with them. All interactions are important. And if we start to have that kind of attitude, that the words I use to speak to you, the tone of voice that I use to communicate with my partner impacts her or him. And it creates a kind of an attitude between the two of us that, generate some really special kind of connection. And and one of the things that I I think is really important that I always like to say in this kind of conversation is that when people treat each other that way in a romantic relationship, it opens the door to a kind of intimacy that I really do not believe is available to us in any other kind of relationship. It's kind of a radical intimacy, I call it. It's a deep intimacy in which we can trust another person enough to really let them into our hearts at a depth that nobody else is ever going to see. And when someone who loves us dearly is invited in and cares about us, the, the healing, the change, the, the, the blessing of that is truly credible in terms of its possibilities. Now, and let me so, stop you here for a second. Okay? okay, because I, I, I mean, I get what you're saying here. I think uh, the listeners do too. But you know, I want to play devil's advocate for a minute because um, there's no question what you're saying is true, and I've experienced it myself. Uh, you know, during my life, and um, but a lot of people never get there. Okay, mm-hmm. and. And you know, right. going from 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 the uh, from the book games people play was mm-hmm. in the early '60s, and from that I'm okay, you're okay, transactional analysis. But the original book uh, talks about how people, instead of getting to the ultimate, which is what you're talking about, which is intimacy, emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. they stop at a certain point and they start playing yes. games, you know, emotional uh-huh. games with each other. And mm-hmm. the reason for it is, I think, is very, very important. And, and you and you hit upon it in, your, in, in what you were saying, because in able to get to that close intimacy, you have to make yourself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And people are many people are afraid to do that. They That's feel true. they're not, they don't feel confident enough, and that they'll be rejected, basically. Mm-hmm. They 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 hold off and and they never reach that beautiful you know point just the way you're describing. Yeah. And uh, so I just thought it would be worthwhile, you know, discussing that for a second. What you know why it holds people back? I think it's just low self-esteem and feeling they're not worthy. But you know this must be something you thought about or it must be part of the book. So yeah, how how do you help people I, I dealing with that? Well, number one, I don't think of you as the devil for bringing that up. <laughs> that was a good it's question. question. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think it was a good question. 
I, I think that vulnerability is, is crucial. And I think the good news about romantic love is that when it sort of strikes, it opens our hearts in a way that gives us the possibility of being vulnerable with our partner, probably more so than we've ever been with anybody else. The mm-hmm. question is, do we fully pay attention to that? And can we allow that vulnerability to develop between the two of us? Because as you know, and I think you stated it well, it requires trust. And if I open my heart to my partner and she treats my heart badly, I'm going to close it. Yeah. Same with her. And so I do think that if a couple comes together, falls in love, spends time together, gets married or makes a big commitment and lives together for a number of years, and then they sort of lose touch with that, they can regain it if they begin to travel down that path of vulnerability again. And for some couples, it takes a little bit of work. I actually have a um, a kind of a guide for that. It's not in the book, right. but I send it to anybody who emails me for free. It's got over 100 questions open-ended questions that a couple can use to um, develop or redevelop or reconnect in a sense of intimacy. And if anybody is listening to this, the email is dra, Dr. A, dra, at mattcoyote.com, M-A-T-T-C-O-Y-O-T-E.com. And it's dra at mattcoyote.com. You send me that and just put intimacy in the subject line. I'll send you the for free the list. Or you can go to my blog and find my um, contact information there, which is theresurrectionofromance.com. But I'll be happy to send it to you. And it's a way of very simple exercises, but it's a hundred different questions about all kinds of subjects that a couple can sit for a half an hour or 20 minutes and use some of them and explore. It's not about being right or wrong. It's not a test. It's a way of building trust and vulnerability and intimacy. And if a couple will sit and try that, it almost always helps that process of vulnerability. But as you said, if if you're not, if people are afraid of it because they've been hurt. But who are you going to be vulnerable with in this world if it's not the person you love the most? I mean, that's the place to do it. No question. But some people, you know, I mean, my personal opinion is some people need help overcoming mm-hmm. their their inadequacies, and so they could make that step. Yes. Because you know they're just. You know, they just imagine uh, if they get rejected, it's going to be like, you know, the house falling in on Well, it does feel like that if we get rejected. (laughs) And I I spend a lot of my time in person, um, face-to-face, and also on Skype and FaceTime, working with clients all over the country, helping them, couples and individuals, helping them uh, develop that skill of opening the heart in the right way, the right time with their partner in a way that builds that kind of experience. And you're right. We don't get taught that in very many places. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book is I wanted people to have a a guidebook that really helps that in a positive way. 
Well, in a sense, you know, my and you know, I'm someone. Who, everyone is brave in different ways. Some people are physically brave, you know, warriors, literally. Some people are emotionally brave and, uh, and mm-hmm. creatively brave, you know. So everyone has their. It's not that someone's better than someone else. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. So, but I would say, from my personal standpoint, you know, you're better off finding out if someone turns you down that maybe that's not the right person for you, you know, and, and you know, you don't have to be married 10 years to, to get to that point. You should really get to it before. <laughs> I'm just saying that maybe yeah. they're the wrong person for you if if, uh-huh. if if when you open yourself up and, you know, they're not, they can't connect. So, you know, you, right. you could look at it that way if people have, you mm-hmm. know, comfortable doing that. And uh, so, but it, it, it's a challenge. And I'd say most people don't make it. I have to, I have to say there are some, but most people don't make it. I, I, to my experience, the people who, who who talk about their partners as their best friends as well as their lovers are usually the ones that are, have crossed that line. You know, have have done well. Well, that, I think you know? that the, a, a large number of people, as you say, don't make it for for two reasons. In my experience: one is. Sure. They have not so good communication skills. And the second and maybe even more important part is immaturity, is that really good relationships take two adults. And teenagers and children, in terms of, you know, you might have an adult body, but the question is how old are you inside? If you're... If you're in a 30-year-old body, but your attitude about relationships is about 17 years old, then it's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. And the responses are going to be immature, your reactions. And so growing up in a, in a healthy psychological sense is pretty important. But if people are willing to do that, they can almost always make their relationships better. Almost mm-hmm. always. If they're willing to do that work, because maturity then makes a person more open, I think, to good communication skills. And when yeah. we learn how to talk to our partner, communicate, relate in an adult, healthy way, it almost always eliminates a big piece of conflict and, and opens that door, makes it safer to be vulnerable. And it doesn't matter if we start at the beginning. It's worth the trip. Yeah, I mean, I, I would tell people, don't rush into anything, you know. And I've seen it happen. Uh, you know, the old sayings, a lot of these are cliches, but, you know, they're around a long time because <laughs> they're probably true for the most part. You know, marry it in haste, repent at leisure, you know. I mean, I see people, I, what's your hurry, you know? Oh, I don't want to lose that person. Well, let's put it this way. If, if he or she's not around in 12 months, then wouldn't you rather know before you got married? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's better off knowing before you got married, especially before you have a child. Because marriage may be reversible, but children aren't, you know? That's true. And, and uh, you know, one, I, of the, one of the things that I hear with, that I say to my couples often and to many people, is that in our country it takes more effort to get a driver's license than a marriage license. <laughs> Right. And that's, you know, a, a, a driving a car is a great responsibility, of course. But marriage is much more complex than that. And you don't even have to t- 
take any kind of quiz to know if you even know what you're doing before you get married. Yeah. And it should be, in my opinion, if there was like a year waiting period and you had to take, you know, 12 or 15 weeks of classes, I bet the divorce rate would drop by 50% simply because yeah. people would go through that process and decide, hey, I'm not ready. Or they might do a better job because they had some decent guidance. It's just amazing I, to me that we don't have that kind of training unless people, and then people start calling people like me, of course, and that's why I'm able to have work to do, of course. But yeah. it would be nice if there were more education about it than there is a driver's license. You know, it's funny you say that because in New York State, I think uh, I've never been divorced, so I don't know, but I'm pretty sure. In order to get divorced, you have to wait like two years or something like that from the time you're you're legally separated. So, but there's no way to get married. <laughs> just like just That's if right. they made it a little harder, you know, uh-huh. you know maybe they wouldn't have to worry about the divorce so much. Like you, as you're saying, you I know, know. it's I interesting know. they're doing it on the wrong end of the process. <laughs> Well, we tend to do that about a lot of things, but, you know, it's like I I do think that anybody who is in a relationship where there already is love or there was love and they seem to have lost some contact with it can make progress if they follow certain guidelines to do certain things with each other. And I see it happen every day. I see it happen in my practice. I see it happen with my friends that people learn how to – treat each other with some very simple and different ways than the way they usually do, they're going to, they're going to see a good result. And it, it is nice to see couples that talk to each other with respect and love and interaction. Um, and, and I know you see it. You know, you go out to a restaurant and you sit there and you watch other people who are in relationships at other tables, you can kind of tell where their through their marriage, their relationship is by what's actually happening in that space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you talk about anger here. I know we're uh-huh. not going to have a lot of time to go through everything, but you know, obviously that's a big part of what happens with people. And uh, you know, uh, how do you you know how do you deal with that? Because well, that could be I'm devastating on a relationship. I think that's a really important topic for couples. Mm-hmm. And 25 years ago, I would have said to you, anger is a regular, natural part of uh, relationships and marriages, and you should just learn how to deal with it. And if you get angry, you got to handle it. I'm in a different place now, and I think that anger. It should be dealt with honestly, and when people feel it, they should pay attention to it and not let it fester and become rageful and hurtful to their partner. But ultimately, I think a really great, healthy relationship is going to have very little anger in it on any regular basis because people are going to learn how to love more than they get angry. Their egos are not going to be so big and so important to them that they can't be wrong. You know, there's this famous little question that a lot of us ask our couples now these days, and that is, would you rather be right or happy? And in a couple's relationship, it's a good question to ask because some people get angry when the other person's always got to be right, you know? And I think that anger, the healthier and stronger a relationship gets, the less anger is going to be present to the point at which you seldom have experiences of anger. And I think 
people who have regular weekly kind of experiences of anger in their relationship are missing out on really deep intimacy because anger and intimacy do not go together. If you get angry at me, I'm not going to let you get close to me. And if you get really close to me, it's going to be harder to get angry at me because you understand me better and you feel for me. Well, I want to ask you this, though, because I think, look, people do get angry at times for whatever reason, you know, justified, unjustified. It's an emotional thing. It's not a logical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my my advice would be get it out rather than hold it in. Because when it festers, it can come out really in a bad time, in a bad way. And when it builds up, it becomes an explosion after a while. And I think that's more dangerous than just getting it off your chest. You know, when I agree uh, when with you occurs. about that. Getting it out is important, and how we get it out is really important. You know, if if I get angry at you and I start cursing at you and yelling at you. That's going to hurt our relationship, but I can communicate my anger at you in a way that shows that that it's held or couched in respect and care so that it comes out in a way that you know that I'm angry or upset, but at the same time, you also can see that I do not want to hurt you with it. Mm-hmm. And the trouble with a lot of couples is anger comes out in outbursts, and it it's a way of trying to hurt the other person. And so then you've got two people who are upset rather than one person trying to really communicate and the other one being receptive. So I, I think you have to treat it like nuclear energy. You have to be uh, careful with it in a healthy way. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do not recommend holding it in. No, I agree with you about that. Well, another technique could be humor, you know, I mean, it's hard when you're angry, but sometimes you you look at yourself in the mirror, so to speak, and you realize you're being you're crazy, and you start laughing at yourself. You know, <laughs> if you can inject humor in there, it often breaks the tension. And well, you know, particularly if it's directed at yourself, the way you said, that makes it safe. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's you can, not a, you know, that say, I'm mad as hell, but laugh at yourself. Yeah, right. That kind mm-hmm. of takes the uh, the tension off, but uh, but you know, that takes some maturity to do that. Oh, well, it's hard. It's hard. I know. I'm not trying to say I do it all the time or it makes it easy, but I, you know, look, everything in life is about your reach should exceed your grasp. You know, I believe in, you know, you have to aim. None of us, we're all imperfect. That's why we're here. You know, you know, life is the way of perfecting. So it's the, you know, the school of life where we, we fall on our face enough time, maybe we learn how to not get tripped up so easily, you know, and so we're trying yes. to learn our lessons. So we're all going to screw up. We're all going to look like idiots. Mm-hmm. We're all going to do dumb things. As long as we learn and try to be better the next time, that's all you could ask. You know, instead of too many people, I think, take everything as so absolute, you know, and then realize it's just a journey. It's an emotional journey. And, you know, if you, as long as you learn something from it, you know, dust yourself off and keep going. And don't make it seem like it's the end of the world because you you did something a little silly. I think well, you know, that's that a good helps. attitude. I think that helps, you know. Uh, we're getting close towards the end, and, you know, uh, I want to let you kind of 
wrap things up or, you know, uh, we have, let's say, five more minutes, you know, to kind of uh, put it all together. And then you could just tell people again how to uh, find you, okay? Well, the I, I recommend two things. One is go to my blog if you're interested in relationships, if you're single or if you're a couple. Go to my blog, theresurrectionofromance.com. Don't leave out the leave, the, the, because people type it in and they can't find it. Theresurrectionofromance.com. I've got a number of articles there that people can read about relationships. There, I think now there are three or four brief five- or six-minute videos you can watch. And also there's a link to get my book if you would like to buy it, The Resurrection of Romance. And it's, so it's a lot of help. And if you want to dialogue with me there at the blog, I'm happy to do that. Or you can email me. And I'll just give my email one more time. It's dra sure. at com. M-A-T-T-C-O-Y-O-T-E. Dot com, Dr. A at MattCoyote.com. If you'll send me an email, I will send back that list uh, at no charge uh, about that helps you develop intimacy with your partner. And that's good for single people as well as married. It's really wonderful, simple, and it builds trust and connection and intimacy. And it's just a really wonderful in-depth kind of thing that you can use over time. You don't have to do it all in one sitting. And I, I think that there are a lot of wonderful possibilities for a relationship when people use the kind of guidelines I talk about in the book. And so I hope your listeners will give it a shot and, you know, sure. and let me know. And it, okay. Go ahead. Well, if anybody, you know, uh, tries to find anything and they miss it, just come to our show page. Uh, it's blogtalkradio.com forward slash getting dash on dash top. And on the show page, it'll have all that information. Yes, uh, it'll have Matt's, uh, you know, website and so on and so forth. So if you somehow misplace it, just, you know, uh, you could you can go in and uh, check the show page. It'll have this information as a descriptor for the show for today. So thank you, uh, Matt Anderson, uh, for coming on the show. And, Paul, uh, thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you. My pleasure. And, you know, I, I wish more love in the world. It's good to uh, to help push that forward. Enough of this horrible murder and, and anger and all this other stuff. Let's let's go to love, folks. Love, make okay. love, not war. <laughs> and uh, and uh, if anyone want, wants to hear more about me, uh, you could find me at depressivesanonymous.org. That's depressivesanonymous.org. By now, we'll go out to uh, the full freight train, Freddie. Take care, Matt. Okay. So, God bless you. Bye. Thank you. He was up each morning with the dawn Because he knew his daily run was long and hard And he had to be ready To get his freight train down the track Determination he would never lack The little locomotive called Freight Train Freddy 
Everybody was his friend And they all helped him to the end To keep those freight cars rolling along steady He never knew what to expect And was very careful not to wreck The little locomotive called Freight Train Freddy The little locomotive called Freight Train Freddy